Last Saturday morning, 11 people were murdered in a Pittsburgh synagogue. We grieve deeply with their families, friends, and all of our Jewish sisters and brothers who have suffered from another crime embedded into a centuries-old history of hatred and bigotry against the Jewish people. Several days before this horrific attack, the killings of two African Americans in a grocery store outside of Louisville, Kentucky, and a series of mail bombs targeting a dozen high-profile Democrats can be enough to make us wonder what has become of our nation. These sad events follow upon the heels of several years filled with public attacks targeting specific groups based on race, ethnicity, religion, or political persuasion. What can we do? What or who will save us? To answer this question, we would do well to turn to Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. Bartimaeus may be blind physically, but he and Jesus are the only two people who seem to be able to see clearly in a spiritual sense. Bartimaeus sees his own plight in all of its stark despair. As a blind person in first century Jericho, he cannot support himself. He is considered a sinner, his blindness a divine punishment. He is ostracized by his family and his community. Bartimaeus also sees Jesus clearly for what he truly is, not a king about to win a military victory, but a compassionate and powerful teacher and healer sent to bring hope and wholeness especially to the least and the lost. To Bartimaeus, his faith is a life or death matter. As Jesus walks by Bartimaeus, realizes that this may be his one and only chance to receive new life, and he begs Jesus for help, loudly, boldly, and persistently. Son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd tries to shut him up, but he will not. This is a desperate attempt from a man who knows that he is powerless and that only an act of God can save him. Bartimaeus knows that this encounter with Jesus is a life or death matter. The crowd and the disciples, well, not so much. To the crowd and to the disciples, Jesus is a rock star. He is the latest celebrity who has all of the answers and all of the power, power and glamour that will rub off, they hope, on them if they join his entourage on its joyful way to Jerusalem. No matter that Jesus has told his disciples repeatedly over the past few weeks, that he is going to his death. No matter that Jesus has warned them that they may lose everything they hold dear if they follow him on the way. 
no matter that Jesus has chastised them for wanting to be first in honor and status. Following him will make them last, not first, the humblest and lowliest of servants. Jesus' disciples and the crowds see only the excitement and popularity of the moment and want to be a part of it. But suddenly, in Jerusalem, it will finally register with them. Jesus is indeed destined for defeat and death, and they will be too if they stay the course with him. A price to pay? No way. This isn't what I signed up for. The crowds will turn on Jesus and his disciples will run away. Jesus sees Bartimaeus clearly as someone who truly understands what it means to be a disciple. It amazes me that in the midst of the noisy crowd, Jesus hears Bartimaeus' voice pleading for mercy. Jesus stands still, searching for the owner of the voice. He knows a true disciple when he hears one. Out of all the excited and celebratory voices, Jesus hears the one person who has suffered enough and is desperate enough to know that only God can save him. Jesus calls Bartimaeus, listens to him respectfully, then asks, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't impose a diagnosis. He doesn't give unasked for spiritual advice. He simply listens to the blind man's request, fulfills it, then invites Bartimaeus to follow him on the road to Jerusalem. And Bartimaeus does. But what are the people in the crowd don't they see that their own situations are dire as well? That they are perhaps in greater peril than blind Bartimaeus in the midst of their spiritual blindness? Bartimaeus' plea to Jesus is the phrase, Son of David, have mercy on me. Later on in the church, these words will become the basis for the Jesus prayer, Lord, have mercy on me. Another form of this prayer exists in the monastic tradition of midday prayer used here at Richmond Hill, in which we pray daily, O oh God, come to our assistance. O oh Lord, make haste to help us. The people in the crowd who walk with Jesus that day do not know that they need to be asking for help as well. Perhaps it takes being brought very low as Bartimaeus was, brought to a point of powerlessness and desperation before we are ready to pray this prayer with all of our hearts, minds, and souls to rely completely on God's power and guidance in our lives. There is some hope, though, for the crowd. At first, many in the crowd do not see Bartimaeus or do not want to see him. He is a nobody, a non-person, not worthy of attention from them or their beloved teacher. But Bartimaeus won't be quiet, and Jesus sees him and calls him to his side. 
At once, the reaction of the fickle crowd changes. Take heart, have courage, get up, he's calling you. If Jesus, their teacher, is calling for this man, well, perhaps he must be worthy of some attention after all. We may need to rethink this. Here are the seeds of compassion, the beginnings of a possibility for clearer spiritual sight, the potential to see the poor, the suffering, and the oppressed as Jesus sees them, which is as his own flesh and blood. We have no room for feelings of spiritual superiority, though, when we consider the crowd or those first disciples. The words, O God, come to our assistance, O Lord, make haste to help us, can become simply words that roll off our tongues at midday prayer as we think about what we're going to have for lunch. Perhaps it takes continuous contact with people like Bartimaeus, who truly know their need for God's deliverance, for us to realize, too, that we are completely dependent upon God for everything. In her book, Pre-Post-Racial America, Spiritual Stories from the Front Lines, United Church of Christ minister Sandhya Rani Jha shares stories of Americans who understand their life and death situations all too well. One of these is servant Brian K. Woodson, senior, better known as BK. BK was born two years after Emmett Till, a black Chicago teen, was killed by a white mob in 1955 for allegedly whistling at a white woman while visiting family in the South. He grew up as the civil rights movement blossomed and flourished and evolved. BK shares a story from his childhood, and you can picture it. The kids have taken over a block of a quiet street in pre-gentrification Brooklyn so that they can play football. It's the kind of thing you see in nostalgic movies in days gone by. BK is seven. His mother works as a guidance counselor for the public schools and his dad works as a police officer for the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey. He doesn't have a ton of worry about as he throws and catches with the other kids. A cop car rolls up, not that different from the one his dad drives at work. The cop rolls down the window and out of the blue shouts at seven-year-old Brian, you better get out of that bleeping street or I'll break your bleeding arm. And that's a day in the life of a seven-year-old black kid from Brooklyn in the 1960s. Oh God, come to our assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help us. Mary is an Episcopalian priest in San Diego, well known for starting the Guadalupe art program in this border city. In her Spanish language ministry, she encounters countless young women 
who are part of the rampant sex trafficking along our borders and across the country as a way to help rebuild the dignity and divinity of these women, who are girls, really. She has them paint their own faces into artwork of the Virgin of Guadalupe. Imagine women who have been forced into the sex trade or other abusive relationships, getting to see themselves in the Blessed Virgin, getting to reclaim their wholeness and their dignity and their status as treasured daughters of God. The artwork in her office is magnificent. Mary has another picture in her office. It is a photograph of farm laborers, also trafficked across the border or pushed across the border because there are no jobs where they live and because Americans demand low-cost food that requires back-breaking labor at wages far lower than U.S. citizens will accept. The farm workers are sleeping on the highway underneath trucks because there is nowhere else for them to sleep before their work begins. Mary gets invited to speak about human trafficking a lot. The Guadalupe Art Program is powerful, inspiring, and well-received. There are many times, though, that Mary does not get invited back to speak again due to the presence of the second picture, the one of the farm workers. I keep explaining that you can't understand human trafficking without also understanding immigration and incarceration and the war on drugs and how they're all tied together, she explains. She ruffles a lot of feathers. One day, as she is speaking about teenage youth who are victims of sex trafficking, kids sucked into gangs, farm workers who work all day then are refused payment by their bosses, a woman interrupts loudly. Are these people we're talking about illegals? Mary pauses, then replies quietly, these are people who are victims of our economic system. O oh God, come to our assistance. Lord, Two blocks away on the corner of East Broad and 19th, there is a man, a modern day prophet of sorts, who sometimes spends hours walking up and down the sidewalk carrying a sign and yelling through a megaphone. He is not blind, like Bartimaeus, but he is loud, he is persistent, and his message quite clearly is urgent to him. I am impressed by his passion, his persistence, and his refusal to be quiet. I've never gotten close enough to read the sign completely but I do want to know more. As best I can tell, he seems to have free reign on that particular corner, but I have wondered, perhaps, what would happen if he showed up in another place in Richmond, perhaps in a more elegant part of town, perhaps at 
the ribbon cutting for a new statue surrounded by political and religious dignitaries, I wonder how long the crowd would allow him to stay there. Oh God, come to our assistance. David and Cecil Rosenthal, two brothers who were members of the Tree of Life congregation in Pittsburgh. The Rosenthals were among the 11 people killed last Saturday when the gunmen stormed their house of worship and began shooting. They've been fixtures there for as long as anyone can remember. Jeffrey Solomon, a longtime member of the Tree of Life congregation, said of David, age 54, and Cecil, age 59. They're what we call shomerim, people who guard the religion, even for the rest of us who don't go all the time. The Rosenthal brothers had developmental disabilities, but lived independently. They often spent their days at the Jewish Community Center where they spoke warmly to anyone they met. Says Solomon, you could feel what is good in the world when you talk to them because they only talk to you about good things. To say that everyone in the Pittsburgh Jewish community knew them is not even a remote exaggeration. They were both active participants in so much of life. I just can't imagine why anyone would want to hurt them, Solomon added. It doesn't make any sense to me. They didn't deserve this. Oh God, come to our assistance. There are those in our country who encounter hatred and violence on a daily basis due to their racial, ethnic, or religious identities. They see clearly, without a doubt, the seriousness of their plight and their need for restoration to safety and wholeness. They are crying out to God and to anyone who will listen. There are those in our country who need to stand still, pay attention, and listen to their stories. Then, and only then, will they, we, be able to see clearly, to see others clearly as God sees them, to see ourselves clearly in our own dire need for repentance, restitution, and divine transformation. As servant Brian K. Woodson, BK, concludes, we're all in the same boat. If only we could see it. If only we could see it, then we just might be able to stand together as one, a great body of people, myriads and myriads, lifting up candles to dispel this current darkness. Oh God, Come to our assistance. O Lord, make haste to help us. Let us pray. God, help us. Help us rise up and resist evil with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us confront the hate within and without 
that is overtaking our land. Comfort, oh comfort your people, God. We beg for an outpouring of compassion and love to overcome the scourge of violence besetting our communities. Grant us the courage, the will, the stamina, and the wisdom to live every day with faith, hope, mercy, kindness, and justice until crying and mourning and death and hatred are no more. We pray in the name of our Savior, a Jewish man from Nazareth, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen.